Good morning. Pastor Caleb, that was all formal. I feel a little funny. If you call me Pastor Caleb, I might not know you're talking to me. <clears throat> Caleb, it'll be fine. Uh, glad that you're here. It's good to see you guys. There's no uh, football games in this time frame, and so look, our 1130 service is packed. Uh, the last two weeks, it's been sparse because everyone's had guacamole in their lap already. So I, I'm glad that you're back in here. Uh, we, are, uh, we are in the middle of this great series called A Beautiful Mess, and we're talking about it because uh, our lives, our relationships, sexuality, it's a mess. And uh, we live in a culture where it's really messy, and it's difficult to kind of sort out what from what. And so we're talking about our relationships and the different, different aspects of them and how uh, God designed them and wired us and, uh, and, and we're enjoying doing that. The first week, we talked about how he made us not animals, that we don't have to be slaves to our desires, but also we're not angels. So we find ourselves in this glorious, uh, gloriously messy middle of human, human created in God's image. Then last week, we talked about the impact of that truth and that reality on all of our relationships and how God designed those for us to connect with him. And then that love flows out of, from him and to other people and other relationships. And today, we're talking about uh, a little bit more specifically about sex, actually. Um, so I, I don't know if you remembered, so those of you who were here, I handed out this card a while back, and I said, what is it in the relationship series that you think we should talk about? And so we got a bunch of these back, and one of them was uh, awesome. It, was, it said this, it said, how do I cultivate a healthy sex life at 75 years old? So naturally, I thought, who better to talk about that than me? And uh, so let's, let's just jump in. No, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't know. But, um, uh, but bravo, right, for even asking. I mean, congratulations on, uh, yeah, you're, my wife already told me, if, if that's you who wrote that, she wants me to get some tips from you uh, later. So the, the longevity of this deal, uh, that's great. Uh, I got another one, too. Uh, this one says, being single in church and how to navigate singleness. Sex outside of marriage. If you've gone down that road, how do you come back and move forward and do it differently the next time? Great question. We're going to try to hit on some of that. We got other questions about homosexuality, about other things, issues going on. And, uh, and so I just, I, I just wanted to say one thing about that. We're not going to make big global sweeping statements. We're not going to have a stance or a statement about those kinds of things because what statements do is they alienate and push people away. And we're in a relationship series because we're trying to teach ourselves and each other that we want to be connected in community with each other. And we want to be in relationship with God. And so if you're the kind of person that, like, wants really clarifying statements about every sin and what's wrong with you're going to be frustrated. And if that's you, you, you might be, just be careful because you're in dangerous company with this group of people called Pharisees. When Jesus walked on this earth, there was a group called the Pharisees, and they were continually trying to stand between God. Let's put God over there because the cross was over there. God and everyone else. And they tried to, they were worried about people's behavior and saying, if your behavior is like this, you can't get to God. And Jesus had his harshest words for those very people. 
And so what I want to do is, is, is show you a little bit different. I just keep messing this up. Jonathan, let's activate the technology here, buddy. What I want to show you is that people, the Pharisees and a lot of religious kinds of people, they start, they start here with behavior. And they say, if your behavior is good enough, then you can be a Jewish person or a Christian. And then you can have access to God. Or Jesus, right? That's how they operate. And Jesus came and he said, no, 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 no. You're missing the whole point. You're all screwed up and everyone has access to me. And then with, in relationship with me, I help you. I show you what your identity is and your behavior flows out of that. So we're all in the same boat trying to figure out how to manage our desires and do so in a way that aligns with God's design. And so we're not, we're not pointing out particular things or issues. We're all just saying we all have difficulty with that. And we're going to talk about God's design and his teaching and what the Bible says. And we're going to help each other in community as we connect with God first and foremost to live out what his ideal, what his design is for our lives. Jonathan, thank you. Um, and to do that, we go to Genesis chapter 2, toward the beginning. Because our culture is not aligned with God's design. Our culture exploits sex. Our culture uh, makes a big deal about it. It's, it's a sexualized culture. It's everywhere you look. And yet our culture did not invent sex. God invented sex. God is the connection creator. God is the connection creator. And here's where we learn a little bit about it in Genesis 2. It says, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Okay, notice this. If you're following along in the notes, you can underline that. He brought her to the man. Your most satisfying relationships, as you look back or you look forward, will be people that God brought to you. You, cannot, you will not be satisfied or fulfilled in a relationship when you are the one that's claiming, taking, manipulating, clinging, trying to force it. It starts with this attitude of gratefulness that says, this is from God. This is a gift from God. Gratitude is the antidote to selfishness. And we see that right here at the beginning. God brought her to the man. Verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe-man, for she was taken out of man. This is the first poem ever written in the history of humankind. It was clearly written by a man. <laughs> Not very profound. Verse 24, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. There's something about sex that has a uniting characteristic. There's, there's this intense connection that unites. That's just the reality. That's part of it. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Underline those words. They felt no shame. There's some of you in here already this morning that feel shame. I haven't even said anything yet. And, you're, and there's some of you that already are feeling shame. And I want you to pause and recognize the fact 
that God is not shaming you. I am not shaming you. But there's something at play here. Something has gone wrong. Something is disconnected. And the way it's playing out in your life is causing this sense of shame. Now, guilt and shame are different things. Guilt is the response of, it's, it's a, like a conviction. It's a feeling that says, I have done something wrong. And there's guilt. And, and that might be a good thing for some of you today. Guilt or, or conviction might be something that we need and to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm outside of God's design for this thing, and I want to get more back in line with it. Shame is something different. Shame, if guilt says, I did something wrong, shame says, I am wrong. And shame says I'm, I, that I have no part with God, that I have no, no connection to God, and I'm just, I'm just lost, and I'm just done with, and I'm just disgraced because I'm disconnected. Why? Why did Adam and Eve feel no shame? Because they were in the garden. They were living in God's design. They had connection to their creator, to his creation, and in community, the way he designed it. This perfect, harmonious connection. Receiving from him, walking with him, connected to one another, and connected to creation. They had not sinned yet. They had not rebelled yet. They had not done anything yet. They were connected in every way, the way God designed it. God is the, crea- the connection creator. Sin is the ultimate disconnector. Genesis chapter 3 says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate of it. The, the, the only fruit that God said, don't eat from. There's just one tree in the garden. You can eat from anywhere else. You can have anything else. And fixated on the one thing that he said, don't take that. Just don't take that fruit. And that's the thing that they fixated on. And that's the fruit that she ate. He said, when, when you, if you ate from this fruit, you, your eyes will be open. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And in a sense, she's, they're saying, I'm taking matters into my own hands. I want to be the judge of what's right and what's wrong. I want to be the judge. I want to decide for myself. And the Bible says she also gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her, and he took and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, they're self-conscious. They're ashamed. They're exposed. Because in that moment when they disobeyed God and did the exact opposite of what he said, there was a disconnect. There was this fracture in this harmonious connection that God had established. And they immediately felt naked, exposed, ashamed. They had been ungrateful for all the gifts that God had given them, and they focused in on just the one thing that he said that they shouldn't have, that they shouldn't do, and that's the thing that they did. And the story goes on in verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called out to the man and said, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he said, Who told you that you were naked? In other words, who have you been listening to? I designed this whole connection thing so that you would listen to me 
and trust me and not need to decide for yourself what's right and wrong and what you can and shouldn't do. I designed you. I designed this whole creation thing and you can trust me with this. I want to tell you. I want to help you. I want to keep you doing what is best for you, by the way. Who else have you been listening to? Why have you gotten off track? Why have you gone your own way? God, in his design, he didn't want... He didn't want you to have to touch the boiling pot on the stove to learn that it burns. You know what I mean? He just wanted you to trust him. This is not going to be good for you. But immediately, when they chose to sin, when sin entered the world and that disconnection began, they felt ashamed. They felt naked. They felt disconnected. Shame entered the story when we disobeyed God. And that's not just a story, friends. The reason why I go back to Genesis all the time is because it's not just a story of then. It's not just a story of Adam and Eve. This is the reality that you and I still live in every day. We have choices. Do we just listen to God and do what he says, trusting that he's got our best interests in mind? Or do we take, do we focus on the one thing that he says not to do? Instead of being grateful for everything else that he gives us, do we focus on that thing, take and try then to decide for ourselves what's good and what's right. Because we think, we think that we want our independence and what we get is disconnection. And the result of that is shame. Sin leads to disconnectedness. Disconnectedness leads to shame. And shame, unless you turn and go back to God, leads to more sin. And more sin leads to chaos. Because once we jump into that cycle, and you've seen this cycle, many of you have lived this cycle, or at least you've seen it play out next to you. When, when we sin, we feel disconnected, we feel shame. And to cover up the shame, we go to more sin, and we think, well, I, I'm, I'm disconnected. I need this connection. I need to feel like I belong somewhere. I need to feel that thing that feels like it's missing. I don't want to feel alone. And so we go to those places, and the sin just compounds, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And you hear people say, they've gone off the deep end. That's what it means. It just keeps going and getting worse. We try to make it better with the quick fix that is sex on our own terms. Sex is the most powerful way to connect with people. And so we go to that thing, think, we go to that, we go to sex thinking that this will help our, our state of feeling alone and disconnected. And we just compound the issue when it's outside of God's design. And we live, it doesn't help that we live in a culture that is so obsessed with sex, where it's just everywhere. And it's because sex is the quickest, most intense, most exciting way to feel connected to another person. But there's a problem. It doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy you, you already know that this is true. You know that this is true because whether you've dabbled in all kinds of sexual relationships or pornography, or pornography you, you, instantaneously you have a sense of regret. Like, oh, this isn't... You, you see, if you're married, you see the effects of pornography on your marriage. It, it, can, it just kind of puts a wedge in between you and your spouse. Pornography is about variety and immediacy and on my terms and selfishness. And it just drives a wedge between you and your spouse. And now all of a sudden that connection doesn't work the same because I'm connecting over here, at least in my mind. 
The same thing, I mean, we, in our culture, we actually have words describing how we feel after these kind of weird sexual encounters. We have a term called the walk of shame. It's, a, it's an actual thing where people, they have some kind of encounter the night before, they wake up the next morning, they regret it, and everyone sees them on sorority row or whatever, walk, making the walk of shame. We, we know even in our culture that there is shame associated with these fake connections. There's this other term that I thought was just a movie, but it's an actual different thing, coyote ugly. Do you know what coyote ugly means, where that came from? When people are drinking too much and they sleep together and then one of them wakes up in the morning with the other person on their arm and they would rather gnaw off their arm than disturb this person and have to deal with this situation. That's what coyote ugly comes from. Because we all understand what it means to be just consumed with shame. How did I let this happen? This isn't working out like I thought it would. I thought this time it would be differently. I went down that road again and it didn't satisfy again. And I'm frustrated and I hate that I did that. Most of the time, those kind of encounters are interwoven with alcohol. And it's no surprise because alcohol, hel alcohol helps numb those senses, that guilt, that shame, that conviction, it numbs us so that we can continue to go down these patterns thinking that we can fix ourselves, and we cannot. It just doesn't work that way. Sin leads to disconnection. Disconnection leads to shame. And then we, unless we turn back to God and his design, it leads to more and more and more sin. There's a really disgusting example from the Bible that I'm going to just go ahead and read to you. It's it's from the Old Testament, and uh, King David, the famous King David, has a bunch of sons, and one of his sons is named Amnon, and Amnon is the, he's the prince. He's the son of the king. Like, he has wealth. He has riches. He has everything you could want, and yet what does he fix, fixate on? The one thing he can't have, his sister, and he falls in love with Tamar, who's his half-sister, different moms. And the Bible says that he gets, becomes so obsessed just fixating on his sister Tamar that he literally makes himself sick to his stomach. And he just thinks he has to have her. I can't, I can't do anything else but have this person. And so he, he creates this whole scheme where he tricks her into coming into his room to bring him some food. And she comes in and she's, she's by herself and he attacks her. And she, she begs him. Amnon, don't do this. Don't do this. You don't have to do this. I'm your sister. But he doesn't care. And then she says, hey, hey if, if you're going to do this, at least do it right. I mean, we're only, we're only half siblings, so if you talk to dad, he'll probably let us get married, and we can do this the right way. He doesn't listen. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel, he refused to listen to her, and he was stronger than she, so he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. Why do I share this ugly story with you from the Bible? Because it is the reality of increasing sin. That what seemed, what seemed like this is what I wanted, this is what I loved, it, ne it doesn't satisfy when it's outside of God's design. It doesn't satisfy. 
when it's outside of God's design. And because it doesn't satisfy, we just keep, we, we keep going down these roads and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And we get angry. We get angry that we can't fix this, that we can't satisfy this, we can't make this better or right. We, we're looking for a connection and what we get is just a transaction. It doesn't satisfy and we get angry. There's another, there's another uh, story in the book of Corinthians. This is just a letter. As Paul's writing his letter to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth Corinth was similar to America, and people were just doing their own thing and acting crazy, and Paul is writing this letter to these people, and he says this, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that even pagans, which just means non-Jewish people, did not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. What he's saying is, for some of you who are kind of racking your brains and trying to think, okay, I, there's these kind of experiences that I've had or that other people have, and I don't know if I have this connection with the shame or not. I'm not sure that that's my experience or it was, but I don't feel it anymore. Shame can disguise itself in a couple of different ways, as anger, as we just saw, and as arrogance. Shame can disguise itself as anger and as arrogance. And what happens is we, we have this sense of shame, but we continue acting in the same ways that got us there. And over time, we just get angry, and that's the emotion that we feel. Or we just get callous and arrogant. We think, this is just what I want. I deserve this. I, th- this Bible thing, this is, this is just so old school anyway. I can manage my own life. Purity is a joke. I want what I want. And sin leads to disconnection, which leads to shame, which leads to more and more shame, and God wants to break that cycle and help us find hope and freedom and connection to himself, true connection, and help us see things in a new light. There's a story that I heard this week from a high school, and there were these, there was a group of junior, junior, they were in their junior year, these girls, and they would get together every morning before school started, and they would go into the bathroom, and they would put on lipstick, the bright, bold kind of lipstick, and they would kiss the mirror. That was their thing. And, uh, and so they kept doing that, and the custodian was finding out, and he was having to clean it, and that was a terrible mess, and, and, he, was, uh, and he was annoyed because this is requiring time. And, and so he went and took it to the principal, and the principal went and had a talk with these girls. I can see it's you. I mean, you're not fooling anybody. Um, and I need you to stop kissing the mirrors every morning. But they just wanted, that was just their, you know, calling card. That was just what they did. And so uh, they kept on doing it. And so a little bit more time went by, and then the principal goes in, he pulls all these girls out of their classes in first period, and he has them come to that bathroom. And he has, has these girls stand there looking at the mirror. As they're looking at the mirror, he invites the custodian in. The custodian comes in, and the principal says, girls, I want you to see the time that it takes and the effort that it takes and the, the annoyance that it is, the problem that it is, that our custodian has to come and clean up after you girls every day. And I want you just to, to, to witness this. And so they stand there and they watch as the custodian takes out his squeegee brush thing, dips it in the toilet, <laughs> and wipes the mirror. The girls didn't kiss the mirror anymore. (laughs) And it's funny, and it's gross, 
But some of you need to stop kissing stuff. There's, there's, there's some stuff. There's some stuff that you don't even realize the implications of what you're doing, but it's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. You think it's this simple, harmless thing, but it's not good. And I think God might want to, you to see something in a different light. That this isn't what you think it is. This can have a negative effect on you. He designed sex and our sexuality differently for a good purpose. And he has more. He has more for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's talking to that same people in Corinth, and he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here's where we get this idea of lust, because lust, lust is what we think, I can handle this. These are my own desires. Just like the body needs food, I have these sexual desires. And God's saying, no, 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 yeah, you do. But if you just give yourself over to them, lust will control you. It will become your master. In fact, the word lust literally comes from a Greek word that means in the mind. So our minds fixate on the thing and fixate on the thing. Until what you're thinking about in the boardroom, at the cubicle, when you're working out, when you're at home trying to fall asleep, you're thinking about that thing and you become a slave to that thing until you ultimately just think, I can't even, I can't even stand it anymore. I just have to go through with it. I just have to do it because it's become your master. Freedom, people think that freedom is being able to do whatever they desire or crave. Actually, freedom is going without what you crave and being fine with it. Otherwise, you become a slave to the things you crave. Verse 14, it goes on. By this, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. That's from Genesis that we read. But who is, whoever is united to the Lord is one with him in spirit. What this verse is saying is that there's something about sex that's bigger than just the physical. It goes beyond just the physical body connection. There's something spiritual here. And when you're having connections with people outside of God's design, it's actually competing with your connection to God. That's why people can, they can know, oh, yeah, I totally shouldn't have done that. And they go to confession or they, or they pray a prayer and ask for forgiveness. And yet they don't feel closer to God because their connections that they continue are competing with their connection to him. In other words, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Go in the opposite direction. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your, body, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
in our culture, the world's way, is just to say, my body is my own. I, I can do what I want with my body. There's songs that say that very thing. I, I, it's just my own. I can just do my own thing. It's just my, the truth is, no, you have a designer. You have a creator. God created you specifically. He designed you for a purpose. He knows how you should live. It's, it's, it's not just because he's some kind of cosmic buzzkill. He loves you and has a better plan. It's a better way. It's healthier for you. God designed your sexuality for unity with a person that he brings you. And without God blessing it, it will not satisfy you. It just won't. There's a great, great quote that I heard. I don't know whose it is, so I'll just claim it as my own. It says this, when you engage in sexual activity, you're creating a memory to be enjoyed for the rest of your life or endured for the rest of your life. Because sex is powerful. There's a connection thing that happens. And some of you know, there's thoughts in your head, things, and it just sticks with you. That's the reason why he says, be careful with this thing. Now, I know some of you are like, hey, but at the same time, let's be real. It's 2014. Uh, we live in America. This is Orange County or whatever. How can you really expect me to live this way or to live pure or whatever that even is? I mean, may, maybe in this day, because, because those people, they got married at like 15, 16. Like, I think I could go a year or two uh, in with like the purity thing that you're alluding to here. But today, come on, how about in this culture where, where porn, you can't even avoid it? I mean, it's just like, it just pops onto screens. It's just places. Really? Like, well, how, how are we supposed to do this? Some of you have already checked out because you feel either too much shame or conviction to deal with it. Or because you feel like this, this part of the Bible is just too restrictive and oppressive. Or because you just feel like it's flat out impossible. How could, I, how could I not participate in this stuff? But my question to you is simply this. What's your view of God? What's your view of God? Do you view him? Do you see him as some kind of judge that's just waiting to drop the hammer and convict you and send you off to prison? Do you, do you see him as this policeman that's just shining the light, looking for all your errors and flaws, and I know what you did last night, and all this kind of stuff? Do you see him like your dad or some authority figure who had a tremendous impact on your life for good or for bad? Your view of God determines how you respond to anything in his word, especially these harder things. I want to introduce you to two friends of mine. They're going to share their story on video here and hopefully give you a glimpse of who this God is and why he's inviting us into this kind of living. This is my friend Joe and his wife. When I first saw Emily, um, right away there was this amazing spark. She was beautiful. And I wanted to rearrange my entire world to spend more time with her. And we got to, over the next month, get to know each other better. And just felt like from the very beginning, we used language like we had been given a gift. Like God had given us something to protect, to care for fight for and we use that kind of language like we wanted to honor the other person um, to care for the other person well and about a month in uh, Emily called me one day on like a Wednesday and just said we need to talk and I've never heard that phrase be connected with any sort of good news it's never we need to talk you win a new car we need to talk you get a raise it's always been 
bad news. And so um, we met at the mall and sat in the food court and I could just tell that there was something heavy and something that she had been dealing with and needed to talk about. Yeah, Joe cared for me so well. He treated me better than anyone I had ever dated. And I felt uh, respected and honored and treasured. And as we continued to date, I started to feel anxious about sharing my past with him because I knew that he had made a commitment to not have sex before he was married and stayed true to that commitment and that was not my story and so I called him that day to share the truth with him about my past and I was sure that his feelings for me would change. I think that Emily believed that when I looked at her, I saw what she saw in herself. That I saw the fear and the shame and the guilt when I looked at her. But I didn't. I saw the strength and the courage and the character and the bravery. And I, I struggle with that same thing. I, I have trouble believing and accepting God's love and God's grace. If we believe that God loves us and He cares and that God restores and He makes, like He truly makes beautiful things out of brokenness, what does that mean for all that He's calling us to be? And what does that mean for who He wants, the kind of life that He wants us to pursue together? Hey, you want to get out of here? <laughs> Friends, that's how God looks at you. He doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what those things. God sees you for who he designed you to be. And he sees you full of love and full of grace. And doesn't associate you with your past sins or failures. And neither do we. We are all in this together. We, we, we finish this message where we started, that we are all in this messy thing together, trying to figure out what to do with our desires and still align with his design. And Jesus, in fact, said when he was walking this earth, he said that he was confronted by more of those religious people trying to point out people's bad behavior. And he said that if you even look at someone lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If you even look at someone, it's, it's, it's a sin. It's a disruption from this connection that God designed. It's less than his ideal. And he was trying to knock off the pedestal, the people that think that they hadn't done the big sins. And he wiped that out and he said, it's all the same. I can't even go down, in fact, to the pier and play volleyball without seeing girls in thongs. It's just the way it is. It's just down there, right? And sometimes I have double take, triple take, or looked too long. And that is, that is it's, it's, it's wrong. I mean, it's just, it's a part of our brokenness. Guys, you know, it's, there's just, guys, I mean, it's not just me. Guys, there, you, <laughs> at least a head nod or something that, man, I'm up here naked and ashamed. 
Wow. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all a disruption of this connection that God designed. It's all sin. It's all brokenness. It's all mess. And we serve a God who invites us back and says, hey, hey, I can, I can work with that. I don't associate you with your sin. You can be made new. In fact, there's, uh, those, those same religious guys where they took this woman caught, literally caught in the act of adultery, literally caught in the act of adultery, and brought her and threw her at Jesus' feet. And they said, hey, the law says that we should stone this woman. What do you say? And Jesus bends down and he starts drawing in the dust. I wonder if he's thinking to himself, I remember when I made you from dust. I remember when I made you from dust. And looking at these people who are condemning this woman, thinking that they are better, that their sins aren't as bad. And he stands up and he says, tell you what, whoever hasn't sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. And then he kneeled back down and just kept drawing in the dust. One by one, they walked away until the Bible says that Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. A woman caught in the act of adultery. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. God is in the business of making things new. This last verse says, Revelation 21.5, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's in our world, this, 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 this design of creation, this connection with creation and with himself and with community that he has originally designed it, he's making that new. He's making your relationships new. He's making your heart new, your mind new. He's in that business. You, your past doesn't have to dictate your future. There is newness that God has and invites you into. You don't have to live with shame. You don't have to live with that hanging over you. You don't have to live with those things haunting you. You can know that you are forgiven and set free and you can choose to live differently from this point forward. He does not condemn you. Yet he invites you into a better way. The band is gonna come and they're gonna play and I'm gonna come up one more time but I just want us to, to pause for a moment and just to pray and just ask God to continue to speak. God, I pray that you, as we sing this song, that you would continue to speak to our, to our souls, that you, that you would give us the sense that you are not condemning of us, you have not given up on us, we have not filled our mind with too much whatever, that you intend to make things new, that you have a better way, that you can heal, that you can restore, that you can heal things in marriages, that you can heal things in dating relationships, that you can make the future better than the past, that you're still in the business of making things new. God, that you specialize in bringing beauty from brokenness. You specialize in bringing hope from pain. We trust you with that, God, and we ask you to do it in our lives. In Jesus' name.